Good morning. Thank you all for being here. Go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in a seat back around you. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that and uh, keep it. Or if you know somebody who doesn't own a Bible, give it to them. Uh, we love giving Bibles away, so go ahead and take that. Uh, as you turn in there, I'd like to thank our audiovisual team. They literally work behind the scenes, behind everybody, to make sure that the band can be heard, the words can be read, that I can be heard. Um, they do a lot to, to help make Sundays happen. So thank you for everybody who wants to, uh, who serves in that ministry. If you want to get involved or want just even more information, we can get you plugged into that team as well. Um, we're going to do things a little different this morning. I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump into a text and, and go from there. So please bow your heads and, and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to worship you, to celebrate you. Uh, Lord, as we study your word, you have something to teach us. You have something to give to us. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts, uh, hearts that are open to receive, um, Lord, and give us minds to understand. Um, God, as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. All right, we're going to read a nice long section and then we'll go back and break it down. So uh, Mark chapter 4, we're going to start right in verse 1. <clears throat> Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it, sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teachings he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. He said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and those are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They're those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. In college, uh, <clears throat> I had a professor who used a term to describe Jesus that I had never heard before. He called Jesus the master teacher. Now, this term has actually been used for a long time, and it, books have been written about it, and it's a way to describe Jesus' teaching ministry. I mean, for instance, if you look in verse 1, it says, He began to teach beside the sea, a very large crowd gathered, so he got into a boat, sat in it on the sea while everybody was on the land. 
This wasn't to make a quick getaway. Jesus did this because the crowd had gotten so big, what he was doing was using the water to amplify his voice. The synagogues were getting too full. He couldn't throw his voice that loud, and so he would use the sea. I mean, that's just brilliant. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus speak very plainly and eloquently. Places like the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the Beatitudes, we see this this beautiful, long uh, sermons. But there are also places, like this chapter in the book of Mark, where things might not be as clear. Jesus often spoke in and taught in parables. They're a large part of the way he taught, especially in the later portion of his time on earth, which he had good reason for doing, which we're going to get into this morning. The parables of Jesus are often stories filled with imagery that those at the time could relate to. But these stories were not just used to illustrate a point, but rather to teach truth in a way that requires the audience to not just hear, but to actively listen and process the words being said. In the passage we have this morning, Jesus begins and ends his teaching to the crowd with a command. Listen. In verse 3, he says, listen. In verse 9, he says similarly, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Once again, this is a command not to just acknowledge words being said, but to process, to dwell on, to learn from what was being said. In the explanation of the parable, it is clear that The way you listen, the way you hear is vital to receiving from God. The descriptions of the different types of soil all revolve around the way a person hears the word and how they respond to it. Listening. Not just the task to sit and hear something and process noise, but the ability to hear something, think about it, dwell on it, and then the big key, to respond. I mean, this whole parable is about how do you respond when the truth, when the word of God is given to you, how do you respond? Because the truth is you can sit in 10,000 church services where scripture is read and scripture is sung and scripture is prayed and scripture is preached. But if you refuse to actually respond to what you have heard, you have not allowed the richness of the word of God to do what it was made to do. So let's talk about this parable. He tells the parable of a farmer sowing seed. He sows the seed and it lands on four types of soil. You have the wayside or the footpath, depending on your translation, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. The seed on the footpath is immediately snatched by Satan, by the birds. And in the explanation, he says, by Satan, and it is gone. Those are the hard-hearted, those who refuse to consider the truth of God. Then the seed on the rocky soil, it doesn't have the root to endure in the hot sun, and it shrivels up. These are the people who may respond to truth, but do so out of circumstance or emotion, and are not actually allowing the word of God to root in their lives. And so, when tribulation or hard stuff comes, they have no foundation, and they crumble, and they blame God. The seed in the thorny area, that's choked out. There isn't enough room to let the truth grow. And I think this is where I think a lot of Christians struggle is right here. Because these people, the way I read this, the way, the way Jesus teaches this is that these people heard the gospel, responded to it, let the seed, let the truth get dug down deep and grow those roots going deep into the ground. 
but there's other stuff growing too. And when these other things begin to grow, when money and relationships, politics, family, job, alcohol, sex, drugs, food, pride, anger, your own life experience, when you let these other things begin to grow in value and importance equal to the truth of the gospel, then you begin to choke out that truth. Because there's only so much room to let things grow. Then you have the fourth soil, the good soil. It lets the seed get planted deep and it is nurtured and watched over and the roots grow deep and strong and produce crops 30 and 60 and 100 fold. We see in verse 14, Jesus in explaining this parable tells us that the seed is the word. And this harvest, this 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold harvest, this is a harvest that is much better than the typical, that was typical in that area at that time. It's kind of why the, the sower throws seed basically everywhere, because farming in this area at that time is hard. The landscape around that place was mostly rocks and sand, mountains and hills. It's not ideal for planting. It's not ideal for for harvesting. And so farmers would throw seed where they could to grow seed if they could anywhere. They would basically almost be careless with it because they're trying to grow as much seed, as grow as much of a harvest as they can. So they scatter seed as much in many places as they can. And actually what would happen over time is that a skilled farmer knew that over time, eventually they could cultivate some of that hard soil into workable soil. But that could take years. That could take generations. But when Jesus here talks about the harvest and talks about the harvest producing 30 or 60 or 100 times that seed that was sown, these are huge profits and valuable and long-lasting profits, things that would set up families for generations. In sitting in this parable this week, in studying this passage, two things stuck out to me. Two big things stuck out to me that uh, that Christians need to know. If we are going to be the kind of Christians who not just hear, but we actually respond to the truth of the Bible, there's two big things I want to draw draw out for us this morning. Number one is that Jesus sows indiscriminately, knowing full well three-fourths would not accept it. Right? Clearly in this parable, the sower of the word is Jesus. He has been preaching and teaching at this point for about probably about two years. And we have seen him spending time with the outcasts, valuing the sinners and the dregs of society. He's been teaching and instructing when scribes and Pharisees are around. He's teaching to massive crowds all of the time. And they are all made up of all sorts of people, all sorts of soil. But it's interesting to note that Jesus spends more time in this parable talking about the kinds of soil, the kinds of hearts that will not respond to the kingdom, not respond to truth. Yet that doesn't stop him from sowing the seed. He knows full well people are going to ignore him. People are going to reject him. People are going to turn away from the gospel. And yet he doesn't stop preaching. And this is really how much of Jesus' ministry goes. Right? He is here. He comes to earth to bring the kingdom of God to earth to go to war with Satan. And he does that as he reveals himself and introduces people to the kingdom of God 
And over time, many people become confused and ignore him and get angry with him. And yet he continues. We, as Christians, are called to sow the seed of the gospel, to continue to proclaim it, to continue to spread it, to not be picky and choosy, to not look at someone and try to decide who is and isn't worthy of hearing the gospel. We are not to try and predetermine who has a heart ready to receive. Our job is to be the sower of the seed and sow the seed. And yes, if you're doing that, you will face opposition. You will share the gospel and some will have hearts so hard that the seed just falls and is trampled and it makes no impression. You will share the gospel and some will respond, but that response will be based on a situation or on an emotion or something in the moment. And when the first sign of trouble arises, it will actually reveal there is no depth or root to their faith. You will share the gospel and you will see people seem to make a decision and accept the grace of God, accept the forgiveness offered through Jesus at the cross. And it will be great and encouraging. And then as time wears on, you're going to watch people make decisions that crowd and choke out that truth. They will choose to put jobs and relationships, and money, and power, and activities, and sex, and political beliefs ahead of their faith, and their faith will be choked out to nothing. It can be frustrating, and it can be overwhelming, and it can leave you thinking, what is the point? Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep sowing this seed? But then, you'll share your story with someone. You'll share about how God stepped into your life and changed things and gave you a new hope and gave you a new identity. You'll share your story about what God has done for you and that person through the power of the Holy Spirit will become a Christian. Their whole world will change. Their whole life will start brand new. It will be exciting and awesome to see that and to walk alongside them. And you will be filled with thankfulness for being some small part of their story. And as they grow and they serve and they mature, their life will bear fruit and bless others and serve others. Yes, you will face opposition and frustrations and anger and flat-out rejection. But that cannot stop us from sharing the good news that we have come, that we have to share with others. Because from that seed comes a great, big, over-expected harvest. And that's the second thing I want to pull out, is that the Word of God is living and active and alive and will produce a great harvest. If it is sown. Even amidst the chaos and the tough soil, when the word of God is planted, it will always return a harvest. Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Since the very beginning of time, 
The word of God has been twisted and abused. Right? It's what Satan did in the garden to Adam and Eve. He took the word of God and he twisted it. Since the very beginning of time, the word of God has been twisted and abused. It has been ignored and mocked and attacked. And yet here we sit in 2018, still reading it, still applying it, still seeing it move and change our lives and bring hope and comfort and new life to us. The harvest mentioned in that parable in verse 8 and verse 20 says that the harvest was 30 or 60 or even 100 times what was sown. Just like one seed can produce acres and acres of wheat, so too the word of God has long-reaching, long-lasting effects when it is actually sown. But you gotta actually do it. Seeds never sown can't grow. You get that? Seeds never sown can't grow. The word of God produces new life. It's a seed. It's a little acorn that produces a massive oak tree. It's grain that produces a field of wheat. It can give you a new life that enables you to see and live by a new understanding and wisdom given to you by God through the Holy Spirit. The word of God will always produce a harvest. It will always produce life. And what's great is that while the sower does their part, they are not ultimately responsible for the seed growing in this parable. This is all about the soil, the heart of the person, and that's not your responsibility as the sower. Your responsibility is to sow. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to see that seed grow. Right? Ephesians 2, it's on the wall. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. It is a gift of God. You couldn't save you and you can't save anybody else. You are not going to argue or logic or reason anybody into heaven. It is not your responsibility to try and do that. It is your responsibility as a Christian to sow the seed and let the Holy Spirit do his thing. So if we go back to the text, though, if, if, if all in this parable Jesus is trying to, to tell us is share truth, right? If that's what we really boil it down to is, is share truth, and then the rest of it is really just instruction on the different people who will receive it. Why not just say that? Why the parables, Jesus? Why the imagery? If he has to explain it to the people, doesn't that seem to make things more difficult? Well, Jesus addresses that in verses 10 and 11 and 12. I want to read it again for us. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That's heavy. Because if you read that verse 12, especially that last line, lest they should turn and be forgiven, it sounds like what it's saying is that Jesus doesn't want people to be saved. 
Does Jesus want people to be saved? Of course he does. Of course he does. And this is the kind of verse, this is the kind of thing where you might read this and you say, wow, that makes me uncomfortable. And I'll be honest, I wrestled hard with this passage all week. These couple of verses right here, 10, 11, and 12, I wrestled and struggled with all week long. Because reading that, as I just did, it says basically Jesus doesn't want people to be saved. So when you get to a verse like this, when you get to a passage like this, and it makes you start to wonder and question and make you uncomfortable, you then have to say, okay, the Bible interprets the Bible. If we look at the grand scope of the Bible, is that the, is that the message that's being taught throughout Scripture? No. Ezekiel 33:11. As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Clearly, God does not want us to suffer. He does not want us to die or to deal with the things of sin and separation from him. So what do we do with these verses? Let's look at it. So 10 and 11, he's talking to the 12. He's talking to some of his close followers. They ask him about these parables, and he's talking to those who have already put their faith in him. And he gives this kind of distinction between those who are inside and those who are outside. He says, to you on the inside, you have the secret of the kingdom of God. That word secret there is the word mysterion. It's where we get our word mystery. This mystery or secret is a truth that is only understandable through God's revelation, through the acting of the Holy Spirit in us to comprehend and respond. Like we just talked about, Ephesians 2, it's not about us, it's about what God doing, God is doing in us. And at this point in the ministry, only a few had the understanding of who Jesus was, and even they don't entirely get it. The disciples still have trouble with the details and fully embracing the reality of Jesus being God in the flesh, but they know enough. They had faith enough, right? We saw this with the, par- or with the story of the, the paralytic who was dropped through the roof. How much did that guy understand of who Jesus was? I don't know, but he had enough faith. And I don't know what enough is. I don't know what that number is. I don't know what that point is. That's up to God. But it would seem that that enough is enough for God. That the seed had been planted, had gone into the soil, and was growing and bearing fruit. But what about those on the outside? What about the outsiders? For two years at this point, Jesus has been teaching openly and pretty plainly. He's been doing a public ministry teaching the word, teaching truth. And there have been some with hard soil, some with rocky soil, some with thorny soil that have already made their decisions about Jesus. Remember we saw last week, a couple weeks ago, the scribes and Pharisees and Jesus taught on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This continual rejection of God, God's moving in your life. That's the reality of the situation. 
That's the reality of currently, if we're, if we're in present time, in Jesus' time, the current situation is that there were already some rejecting Jesus, already walking away. And so because that is already the situation, this marks a change in the ministry of Jesus. He is from here on out going to be frequently and intentionally using parables so that those who want to know, who want to grow, can step in and learn and ask questions and seek after him. Those who don't want to, they will ignore it. They will bail and they will refuse to do the work of trying to understand. God is giving them what they want. They may want to see and hear Jesus at work. They may want to even receive a miracle or two, but they don't actually want to believe because to believe and to give up control of their life is something that is too hard, something they aren't ready for. And so to some, the parables will reveal truth and be a light. While to others, they will continue to give them exactly what they want. Darkness. And a reason to ignore Jesus and ignore the Word and ignore the Holy Spirit. I tried to think of an illustration to come up with this. And the best I could do is if you are in a dark room with another person. If you and I were in a dark room, pitch black, dark room room and I took a big mag light flashlight and I shined it into your eyes. For me, this flashlight is lighting up the room. I can see your face. I can make you see you making that awkward squinty face when you get light shined in your eyes. I can see. For you, that same light that is illuminating to me is blinding to you. That's what Jesus is doing with the parables here. For some it will illuminate, for others it will blind them. This verse in verse this verse 12, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah had a hard ministry. He was called to preach to the Israelites, even though God already told him that there were they were a hard-hearted people and that Isaiah preaching wasn't going to change their mind. And in preaching to them, actually, those hard-hearted people would be presented with truth from God. And if they reject it, they will face judgment. God tells Isaiah, this is going to happen. You're going to preach. They're going to continuously reject you. And they're going to be judged for it. That's what Isaiah was called to. And at the end of the chapter of Isaiah that Jesus is quoting here, God does tell the prophet. He says to him, but some will be saved. Some will respond that there will be a remnant. There will be a holy seed. And from that holy seed, a great harvest will come. In that chapter, he talks about Israel being cut down like a, like a giant oak tree. And there will just be a stump left. But the thing about a stump of a tree is that over time, sprouts can grow. And if left alone, if left to do what nature does, those sprouts can grow into a new tree. It can be a holy seed of something new, a remnant, a replacement, something growing from death. And that's what God says, look, there's going to be judgment. There are going to be those who reject, but from there will be some who respond. A holy seed will grow from that stump. A holy seed will grow into a great harvest. 
Jesus' parable about the sower and the soil, it is both a commentary on his own ministry and his own life, but it's also for us as well. It's a reality that hasn't really changed. Jesus knew that there were going to be many in the crowd who would refuse, ignore, hate, and disengage with his message. Some of it was already happening. He knew he wasn't going to see 100% of the people who heard the gospel be saved and accepted. In the parable, he spends more time talking about the variety of people who would reject him. If Jesus didn't save 100% of the people, guess what? Neither are we. That's a reality. But that reality doesn't stop Jesus and it shouldn't stop us from doing what we have been called to do. To sow the seed. To share the knowledge of the mystery. Because the harvest that will grow, that will have great fruit, that will have great results. Results that we honestly may never see, but there will be results and fruit that will have lasting impact for generations if we are willing to do the work of sowing the seed of the gospel. This is our call, Christian. This is what it means. We've been talking all year about being saved from something and being saved from the wrath of God and being saved to be a blessing to others. It means to show to sow truth generously and without hesitation. To regularly and continually be sharing the good news of the gospel. That's what it means to be saved to be a blessing to others. The great Charles Spurgeon said it this way. There's a quote that's up in my office that I've been meaning to fit into a sermon for a long time, and I finally have a reason to. Charles Spurgeon said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. Christian, you have a great responsibility. If you have ears to hear, then you get to be part of what God is doing on this earth, pointing people to himself, revealing himself to them through us as individuals in our relationships, through us as a local church, as a local example of God's body at work, and as the global church, the bigger, big C church, going throughout generations, going around the world. It's not always easy. But if we are faithful to the role that we have been given, we will have the joy of being part of a great and lasting harvest in which God will be glorified. There will be a harvest. So Christians, sow the seed that you have been given. Let's pray.